internet is an ocean that we invent as we explore. In the murky darkness of virtual places, there could be dragons, shabbats, leviathans. Certainly I have heard voices on the web who say we will discover a golden god and reach the side of the ocean floor. well-known uh, Spangler posters there are, and also self-published author of King of All Things. Uh, Last Pirate, thanks for coming on, man. This is a, a big deal for me. I've been wanting to have you on since before this show even existed, so long time coming. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, you can just call me Clark. Uh, yes, Clark Savage, author of uh, King of All Things. Actually, had you on talk about something else which we'll get to in a moment but i want to give you a chance to shill the book i think i have an understanding of um the theme of the book unfortunately i haven't gotten to reading it yet so we'll have to have you back to to discuss that uh so you publish under the name clark savage and it's about the martial skill of men and kind of reclaiming that correct yeah i, I think that's that's pretty much it in a in a nutshell so the book's about uh, ultimately about what are things inherent in being a man and uh, that kind of physical capability of doing violence is, is a big part of it. And I think we've drifted away from that. So the book is a kind of a meditation on where this idea comes from and its, its history over the centuries and then gets into how you might want to structure things in your life um, physically and skills wise and mentally in order to make this a part of your life and now correct me if i'm wrong i believe you're a veteran yeah so i'm sure the military training factors into your perspective and your philosophy as well as i don't know fight training in your personal life yeah the the book is oriented though for someone that doesn't necessarily have that background oh, that's um, good. it's yeah it's it's sort of a general you know the real audience frankly is uh fathers of sons and the with the objective being that you know if you're a, a man in this day and age and you want to have your son oriented in a way that is um, along the lines that we're talking about that you know, what is your roadmap for doing that? What what are the things that you should have your son getting into? Or if you're a young man and, and you know, you haven't done these things in your life, then certainly for you too. Um, but it's not, uh, I think people with a military background, a lot of them have read it and commented on it. And it's been, you know, I'm thankful that it's hit the mark because we've all come back and said uh, positive things about the book. But itself is not it's not necessarily a military skills book even though that's touched on okay because the question i was going to ask if there was a like a form of combat training that you endorsed more than any other but it sounds like it's the general philosophy um you yeah, know this, we, it, there are ahead. sections that talk well there are sections that talk about that you know i talked about weight training and physical training and how you might want to approach that if you're 
ultimate goal is martial capability and what that might look like and how it might be different than other athletics um, that people get involved in. And then I do talk about uh, martial skills and how someone might go about, like just a regular civilian go about um, getting used to weapons, rifles, pistols, et cetera, and how you might want to approach it. So it's sort of a handbook that serves as a guide, a reference book that you can refer to um, if you haven't been trained in, in some of these areas. No, that's excellent. It actually, actually ties right into what I'm having you on to talk about. But before we get there, one last question. You mentioned to me you're writing another book. Are you uh, at a point where you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, I think part of the book is going to this, you know, it's one of those things where I don't want to curse myself by getting too deep into something that's yeah. still formative. I, I probably have about 20,000 words written right now. Um which, you know, it might end up being 70K or so by the end of it. But um, the I'm hoping to have it out this year. And it's it's along the lines of what you invited me to talk about, where a large, I'm going to be talking about Spangler and my views on Spangler Good. a bit. And then I'm also going to be talking about what, um, if you pull the thread forward from, you know, when he died in the 1930s till today, um, we're coming up on almost 100 years now, so 90-something uh, years. So uh, we, it's sort of a inquiry into what, if we were to follow along uh, on his vein of thought, where would that leave us now? What should we be doing now? Because he was pretty clear. I think we're going to get into that here shortly. That's, he was dude, pretty that clear is... yeah, on what he wanted at the time. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that is literally what I wanted to talk to you about today. <laughs> exactly right yeah so let's see if i can spoil my own book uh before it's written here so well we yeah anyway. uh well uh, well we got to back up a little bit so just to announce to the listener that i had this vision of like comprehensively laying out spengler's philosophy as sort of like not a book review but a summation of the book and i did that and i never really put it out there because i was like well Everything you find online is just people sort of like explaining the book. Um, so instead, I'm planning to have a series of discussions with people that I know, know the material and understand Spengler really well. Uh, the previous episode, if, if you've, anybody's missed it, is called Spengler in Context. And it's with my friend Spurgler Acolyte. Uh, Pirate, I'm assuming you've come across him on the timeline. He's constantly yeah. pretty in much. In fact, I listened to that episode. So, Oh, good. Perfect. Well, anybody listening to this episode needs to go back and listen to that one because we also had Monophthalmos on and he's uh, studying. He's a, I guess he's applying for his Ph.D. He has his master's in history and it's in history of Germany between the wars uh, with the focus on the Weimar Republic. And he's a big a big Spengler fan. He's read every word Spengler ever wrote in German. So, you know, when I asked you to come on the show, I don't, your book wasn't even published yet. And I asked you to come on for Spengler. So I'm glad we're finally getting to it. Yeah. And, glad to be here. Glad to be here. Thanks, man. Yeah. You're, so follow follow Last Pirate on Twitter. I will I will link him. I try to link everybody on my show. So look at my show notes. I'm I, pretty sure I haven't missed anybody. Um, I've actually characterized you to some friends in the past as the only guy that I agree with every single tweet. Like, 
Because everybody's got something you're like, oh, well, I mean, that's my boy. But yeah, he, he's that's a bad take. I don't think I've ever thought that about one of your tweets. So I guess I, that's good then. We're uh, on the same page on that. So yeah, and um, I think I think we're around the same age. We're both family guys. So so just to kind of jump in with both feet with Spengler, um, I wanted to ask you first and foremost if you would like to define how you understand the term decline in Spengler's terms, in Spengler's view, because. You know, amongst our cadre of the people we associate with, I think it's pretty clear. But I actually think among like the general population, the concept of decline in the way that Spengler's using it is not exactly what people think of when they hear decline. I think when they hear decline, they think of the decline of institutions, that institutions decline to the part where the institution itself collapses, and then that leads to a societal collapse. And, um, you know... The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, uh, Edward Gibbons' book, when people think of that, that leads directly to like the literal fall, disintegration, and ceasing to exist of the Roman Empire. Whereas Spengler's concept of decline is one in which it doesn't necessarily culminate in societal institutional collapse. Um, so I don't know if you want to pick it up from there and kind of give how you understand what he means by decline, uh, because his idiosyncratic use of the term makes it a much richer concept for discussion than direct, you know, Gibbon style decline and fall. Yeah, I think he's using when he uses, well, one, the word itself is interesting because he commented on the use of the word in an essay. And I think it's in, that is in English. And uh, there's a collection called Prussianism and Socialism something like that, that where there's a series of essays where he talks about the use of the word and he um, thought about uh, that it might even be easier for people to grasp if they think of it as fulfillment the uh. fulfillment of the West so but ultimately I, I agree with that, that he's not talking about institutions per se I think what he's, he's saying ultimately is that there's a biological entity uh, like a macro organism that spans generations and that is uh, that forms a culture a high culture which is what he was concerned with a high culture that produces high art that produces high works of, of other kinds and that culture has a lifespan just like anything else that lives and at some point it becomes older and it transitions from what he calls a culture into what he calls a civilization and at that point, it becomes more rigid. Um, the type, the, the biological type of the person it is, that is produced um, is different. And the, the fruit of that is that things begin to become rigid. Things be, begin to become less flexible and it becomes less of a creative force. And it enters into a, a period where it's unable to kind of produce um, what it did in its youth, um, and, and a notable example of that would be art. Like, and if you think of the Western civilization as a Western organism, a macroorganism, it crosses a threshold, uh, in his view, in the 19th century, where it becomes begins to become rigid, and then it becomes even incapable of producing high art and incapable of producing um, things that it did in its youth. 
and uh, that plays itself out uh, until the end, which comes a number of generations later. Yes, uh, that's great. Um, Russianism, socialism is one of the only things I haven't read by him in English, although he just put out uh, Perspectives on World History. It just got translated uh, last fall. Have you gotten to that one yet? Yeah, I have. I have gotten to that one. It's a little oh, difficult that's, because that's it's excellent. not a book. Yeah, it's not. It's not really a finished book. It's just sort of a series of um, of notes. Uh, I've also kind of muddled through uh, Erfragen, um, which is only available in German right now. My German is not up to snuff, really. But um, it's I'm trying to get it back to where it was years ago. Um, it's kind of fallen into disuse, but I have looked at that as well just because i think it's an important work of his and it's just not available in english yeah so i need to get to those but fulfillment that's 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 perfect that's a perfect way to characterize especially for somebody who's never read spengler and he does talk about that in decline of the west but you know it's a thousand pages long so it's easy to get lost so when things so it might be easier for people who haven't read Spengler to understand decline as decadence in, in one way. Um, although decadence might be considered a symptom of decline. We can talk about that in a minute. What I wanted to say was that um, once fulfillment is reached, once 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 a, a, a form is fulfilled, then the, the need or the reason for being for the culture kind of dissipates and, and disappears. And the people that are left over and they're falahin, it's a term he uses for the people who sort of helped birth and grow and establish the culture and helped it flourish. And then they're they're the leftover stock of the people who kind of did everything that made the culture come into being and become the powerful force that it that it is like the Roman Empire or the the or, or, or Athens or even um Europe and America, the Falahin are the leftovers who are no longer doing those things. They're no, they've like fulfilled their destiny is the term he uses. Now, destiny is a very difficult term to use today because I don't think in a nihilistic and a materialistic age, people really believe in destiny and essence. To talk about destiny and essence is something that I think more analytic people or, or atheistic materialistic people would, would dismiss out of hand. And to be honest, I was kind of one of those people until I read Spengler and he makes it so lucid and so real that you can feel it and you can see in your own life, like how bo both like your own destiny and your own essence, but also how that relates to the essence and destiny of your culture. But what I wanted to say about the Falahin and the fulfillment was that once the forms are fulfilled and the people who were uh, making the forms, what they are, uh, kind of completed their task or completed. And the way he uses it is express. They they have something they want to express. And once they've expressed it at its height and its height would be like, he, he actually names it uh, in the first volume. The height of expression is um, classical music and say the time of Beethoven or uh, uh, classical sculpture in the time of the Renaissance, classical painting, uh, renaissance painting i i can't remember exactly where he said i think he says by the time of the of the uh, uh, do you remember specifically where he says painting reaches its apogee i think he says by the time you get to the impressionists it's kind of over if yeah I, I think in general the baroque period um 
17th century is kind of the summer uh, of Western civilization. You know, he follows a pattern of using these shorthands to talk about life cycles by um, by talking about a spring, a summer, uh, a fall, and then the winter. And the winter period is the civilization period, and the other three are the culture period um, at different different points in the life cycle. So I think the Baroque period, 17th century, is for him uh, where it's at, uh, Western civilization is at its um, peak. Yeah, so, sorry. I was just going to say, and the you know the key thing with Spangler that's important, um, and one of the reasons that he wrote that was to differentiate. We keep on saying Western civilization. We should maybe say what that means in Spangler terms because it's very different, I think, than what other people use that term as. He considers Western civilization as something that began in the 10th century. So the he does not consider. Um, for instance, Rome and Greece as Western civilization. He considers them as their own separate civilization, which is a point of very frequent contention uh, when you, if you get into discussions on the internet on this. So, but it's important thing to keep in mind is that he sees a civilization as something in the neighborhood of a thousand to twelve hundred years. You know, I think if you do on the, the math on that, it's you know 50, 60 generations, something like that um, of of people and then uh that macro organism is no more yeah no, that's an excellent point that's an excellent point um and he you know i can see there's there's this like german anglo divide in the 20th century and it's it's there they um in philosophy the the analytic versus the continental schools kind of go at it and they kind of denigrate each other and i think spengler is very much writing sort of in this tradition of this like Germanic Germanic centric uh, philosophy, because, you know, I spent a long time reading history on my own before discovering Spengler and they all kind of more or less tell the same story about how civilizations came into being. And they definitely considered, I mean, there's a huge push to say that the dark ages weren't really the dark ages and it's one continuous civilization that never really, and not that it didn't change, but there was no real break. It was continuation. Uh, I've read several books and, and one of them by Chris Wickham, I'm forgetting the subtitle right now, but it's something about like, instead of calling it like the dark ages, it's like the ages of, uh, of transformation or something like that. The point being that like the standard academic argument is that these things started in Greece. Western civilization started in Greece. There was a little bit of a hiccup in the Dark Ages and then continued on. Um, they're trying to like make this argument for like continuation. But Spengler is like very adamant that what we understand as Western civilization that he calls uh, Faustian didn't just start in the 10th century it started between the rhine and the vistula which is basically where the germanic people are from it's germania um and he he like in no uncertain terms says that like the faustian spirit which is the defining characteristic of what we call western civilization was birthed like in the german spirit germans created it and then germans th through the uh vikings sort of seeded Faustian culture all over Europe, all over Western Europe, and they seeded it in Russia as well. 
And that the only thing that sort of looks like there's continuation is a reappropriation and a reimagination of things that came before. So uh, Germanic Christianity that we know of in Western Europe after the year 1000 is um, their reappropriation, the reimagining of Christianity. And and this is in Spangler. I mean, I'm not just saying like, I'm not just like characterizing yeah, for, yeah, for the 100%. listener what he says. And then he says the same thing about the, uh, the Renaissance that it's their reimagining of uh, the now. Oh, and right. What I wanted to say was that the Greek and Roman civilization is the Apollonian civilization, which died. It it died. And one of the arguments that academics use to say that there's like continuation is to say that like the the Byzantine Empire continued as the Roman Empire until the 13th, 15th century. Yeah, that, but he's, that's nonsense. But yeah. Yeah, it's definitely nonsense. Uh, he says that Apollonian is Greece and Rome, and then that the Byzantines are Magian and as and um, the uh, well, Semitic cultures, Levantine cultures, as well as Arab cultures, um, and like the 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 cultures of the Muslims that grew up, uh, as well as the Turks who replaced them, was all Magian. So. <laughs> I don't mean to be so long-winded, but as I talk and respond to you, I like keep mentioning these terms I want to define. So just very briefly, Pirate was talking about uh, culture versus civilization. So for the Apollonian, it was uh, it was uh, Greece was culture, Rome was civilization. For the Magian, um, the Arabs under Muhammad and the the culture that he uh, birthed was uh, the culture phase and then the Turkish Ottomans was the civilization phase. For us, Western Europe was the culture phase and America is the civilization phase. But that was a very long winded way because I want to I want to get back to that. I want to ask you about that, uh, the transition from from civilization uh, from culture to civilization in Faustian <coughs> the Faustian West. But to get back to the Falahin really quick, because you said something a few points back about the winter phase. I'm glad you mentioned that. So the winter phase is the end, and the winter phase can go on uh, at least theoretically forever. The winter phase doesn't have to have an end, and uh, academic historians agree with this. There, there are people who say that if it wasn't for the bar barbarians, the Western Empire probably could have remained in its decadent state for who knows how long, forever. Uh, and Spengler says this too. <clears throat> but the term he uses for what we're talking about, the forms, is he says they ossify. So the point I'm trying to make here is that during the culture phase, the forms are being created and then they're flourishing and then they petrify or ossify. And the people who are living in the culture who are no longer contributing to those forms, they're sort of just milling about uh, in the in the in the skeletal remains of all of this, like great institutions they made art as well as law, religion, everything like that. And uh, the Falahin are also like the new people who come in, the rabble, the, the the immigrants who are not of the culture, but they sort of assimilate to it. And this doesn't really apply to immigration in like the early 20th century, like with people from like Ireland and Germany <coughs> um, and Italy coming to America. It's more like the, the Post-Immigration Act of 1965 of people who aren't from Western culture coming to America because the reason why this is important though is because these people don't have it in their spirit or in their bones to like make these forms and to make create the things that the earlier phase was creating 
all they know how to do is like look at it and like try to like mimic it and they can repeat it. So this repetition is very important. And this will be my last point. I'll let you uh, respond. So, so one of many examples he uses, for example, is that like the Greeks during the culture phase were working hard and he he he, he makes a point that they have to put all this energy and it takes like centuries to perfect the form of of sculpture. But once the sculpture is perfected, they can just anyone in any factory can repeat it. <clears throat> so like the 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 statues of the emperors, which was once like a one of a kind thing, are just repeated ad infinitum and placed in every single like city across the Roman Empire. And you can see it today with, I mean, I'll let, I'll let you come in with examples of like Marvel movies being repeated ad infinitum or, excuse me, I got a cold. Yeah, you want me to jump in here? The, um, a couple of things. One, I want to back you up just a little bit on, I do want to correct you on, you know, and actually I'm not sure, I assumed, yeah. always assumed it was pronounced Magian with a, with a hard G out of, out of, from the form of Magus. Um, but Maybe it is Magian. I don't know how to pronounce that in English. But um, that civilization, which he also calls the Arabian, which is a little bit confusing because it precedes what we think of as Arabia and the Arabs uh, as a political force. The that actually starts a little bit earlier. I think you had the timeline was just a little bit off there. He that that civilization, the Arabian, he has starting at around the time of Christ. That that is. Um, it's springtime during that time. And that when Muhammad comes, that is part of the, he compares Muhammad to Cromwell and uh, to uh, Pythagoras as being a period in time when there's a little bit of a shift happening in the summer um, where you get into a puritanical phase in, in each of the civilizations. So the, and then ultimately there's an imperial phase, which I think he looks at as probably being um, the Abbasids and the Seljuks in that time period. So it actually precedes, I think, the Ottomans. And, and the Ottomans actually are not mentioned. There's a couple of interesting examples of, of areas where it would be interesting to see what he thought. He actually doesn't uh, mention the Ottomans, to my knowledge, in Decline of the West. Um, and I think that he would consider them heading towards the, that Fellaheen uh, Falah status um, if you were to look at it, you know, there's some interesting cultures of of where there's some nuance to his thinking, for instance, how he considers Carthage is another example. I think how he would look at China today would be another example of um, some interesting sort of seams to his theory that uh, that could be explored. But, um, you know, he has a term called moonlight cultures, which are cultures that are not really their own civilization or, or sort of reflections. And I think he considered Carthage to be his prime example of a moonlight culture where it was essentially similar to that earlier Hellenic phase of the classical civilization, but it was juxtaposed against the Roman, um, against the Romans who were at sort of a later stage within that. So there's a lot of nuance. It's a long book, um, but I did want to back you up on that point because I think that Arabian civilization started a little bit earlier than you mentioned. Well, it's a good point, and I'm willing to get off in the weeds on that because it actually requires even further clarification and bringing in more terminology. But um, let's couch that for a minute. I wrote it down. 
uh, I wanted to see if you could pick up that point. I know I threw a lot out there um, about what I was saying about the forms, about how once they're in the winter phase and they're ossified and they're petrified and they're um, fulfilled, as you were saying. And like, do you yeah. think do you think we're in that phase now? And one of the things I was wondering, like that I want to talk to you about is like, how do we see these things manifest today? For example, I was talking about the sculptures. One of the things we know, and I mentioned that he 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 says like the impressionists were somewhere right around where like painting starts to decline. Because I I I can't even remember if that's my example or his now, because I always use that example. The reason I use that example is because impressionism was like the first time that I know of the first painting like movement in painting in which like lots and lots of people were going to like university or going to art school and they were like learning to paint and they were like being taught all these things so you had all these people like rotely like uh uh like producing like the same stuff over and over again and that's pretty much how art ha and painting has been ever since really is people who go to like art school and like learn like the basics and then they start to produce either like garbage like abstract expressionism that more or less came in with picasso or they do some version of like the basics or like the standard form you know what i mean the standard human form or the standard landscape i, I, I could go on with this but i want to let you uh comment on it yeah the art is a, uh, I think a tool that he uses to help get across his point that there's a change, you know, there's a change to the people in the culture and the, when the civilization goes from its culture phase into its winter, it's, it's what he calls civilization phase somewhat confusingly. That is marked by certain things in the people. Um, and it's, Number one, there's uh, normally a figure that appears that um, shifts it. In, in our case, it was Napoleon that shifted us out of where we were with these houses of Europe. Um, and we went from that into kind of a democratic era. Um, and the sort of French Revolution and Napoleon coming after that it is marking the change. Um, and for the classical civilization, he compares that the analog would be Alexander of sort of marking a, a pivot. But to your point on art, one of these things that happens thereafter is that the ability of the culture to generate new, new forms and, and shapes in its art and its chosen art. And for Western civilization, he sees music as the primary art of music and painting. And for the classical civilization, it was more culture, it was more sculpture. So the newness and the forms become um, rigid. The art turns into copying, essentially. Um, and you can see that with, the, you know, I'm not an art historian by any stretch, but I think any of us can see that you, Roman sculpture is pretty much straight copies of, Greek sculpture. And there's not really much new that's happening there. Uh, and I think you can say the same thing with what happened with the Western, Western art is that in the 19th century, music in particular, painting, um, there 
were no great masters that were uh, bursting on the scene at the same rate and with the same excellence and mastery that you saw in previous centuries. And by the time you get to the 20th century, um, it sort of dwindled um, and continues to dwindle until until now. Um, there's really no one, as far as I could see, that's producing any kind of high art. You know, and frankly, if it would, would disprove Spangler's theory if, you know, in the next decade, suddenly there was a, um, quote, new Michelangelo, there was um, a new Bach that appeared on the on the scene that would just blew everyone away with something that was high art in the Western style, but different. And I think that in itself, that, that Spangler's theory is disprovable if these types of things happen. Now, anybody that's been observing these scenes, I think it's not, shouldn't hold their breath waiting for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because our friend Spurgler that I just mentioned uh, has been tweeting and talking a lot. He did a podcast episode about uh, the disagreements between Spengler and, and Hitler and the Nazis and why Spengler didn't like the Nazis. And a big part of why they disagreed with each other was because the Nazis were all about like this revival and looking to the future and they thought spengler was was a uh, we talked about this on my podcast episode actually they thought spengler was like a naysayer and a doomer and he was like way too pessimistic and hitler didn't want him anywhere near his movement because he was he was too pessimistic whereas um spengler thought that like to put it bluntly the nazis were basically full of shit and you know i sometimes i've actually backed off because people don't respond that well to it uh, I've been called, you know, a pessimist and a and a and a black pillar because I'm convinced that Spengler was right and that there just isn't going to be. There's not going to be a new Da Vinci and there's not going to be a new uh, Mozart. And the reason why is because it's just not possible. It's just it's just not possible. I mean, I don't see how it could be. And I actually think like digital art is like the winter phase medium par excellence because it's it's first of all you're not even really an artist you're like a computer programmer but you know i don't mean to be too harsh you do have to have an artist's eye to be able to do this stuff so there is there is an artistry to it but i i don't see it as anything other than like manipulating software to fit previously uh uh, established forms. It's not really anything new that I'm seeing. And and the stuff that is new that I've seen anyway is like new in the same sense that abstract expressionism is new, where it's like uh, incoherent and um, it's, I don't want to say formless, but like chaotic. I, I don't know if maybe that's the best, best way to call it. Like I'm thinking about like refried memes and stuff like that and stuff, stuff you see online. And it's also like, mass produced it's it, that's the thing about like ai art or just even graphic design is that like anybody can be trained in like a four-year school to run these programs like whereas in the earlier phase like you know to be a da vinci or to be a michelangelo is like a a, a singular event a historic event of significance that everybody that comes after is like following in their wake you know what i mean you you yeah. didn't 
you didn't have a million Michelangelo's. You had one. You know what I'm saying? So that's my opinion. It's like it just can't happen again. And I don't see how it possibly could. Yeah. And the, you know, to get back to the what is a high culture issue and how is Western civilization different than classical civilization? You know, the uh, he believes that each cult, high culture has its symbol. Um, and, you know, for the West, he sees its symbol as infinity, essentially. And for the classical civilization, he sees it as the body, which uh, represents immediacy. Um, and that reflects in all its ways of being and its government and in it, its uh, in its art. So the when he considers the West to be reaching its fulfillment, then the its ability to uh, essentially there's nothing left to say in its art um, is would be one way to put it. So the expressions are, uh, you know, the the veins have run dry, and there's you're lacking a capability of of producing a new art. And then towards the end, uh, he has a phrase I think is is a good phrase where he calls art uh, changes to craft. And it becomes kind of craft work as opposed to um, something that could potentially show genius. And that craft work might have some artistic element to it and we could enjoy it. And, you know, and there's pop art and things that come out and have come out in the 20th century that I think we all enjoy, you know, like people like a Frank Frazetta uh, and some of these other figures. But it's pop art, right? It's not high art. Um, it's not genius of a type that you see when you look at some of the the classical western high art yeah it's not it's not innovative yeah i mean getting into what's high art and what isn't i think is probably a topic that's beyond my ability to relate but i, I think it's one of those where you kind of know it when you see it right so when you when you go and you see uh, uh the statue of david you know 17 18 feet um and you see some of these you know some classic works of Rembrandt you see the genius there it just hits you in the face you, you can enjoy Frank Frazetta but it's not high art the way I like to characterize it is um I went to see uh Michelangelo's sketches there was a exhibition at uh the Met in New York City and they had some da Vinci sketches there which was one of the most transcendent moments of my life was to see da Vinci sketches up close um, I had seen Da Vinci at the uh, at the Vatican before, but I'd never seen these sketches. And uh, you know, everybody knows he does the Vitruvian Man, the, the 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 anatomy sketch. And the sketches that I saw there were were anatomy sketches, and some of them were like isolated sketches of of a leg, a man's leg, or a man's arm, or a man like in a toga or a robe, like kind of bending over. So he's in different different uh, positions where you can where he's evoking like the human form in, from different angles and things like that. And it kind of struck me that he was more or less the first guy to depict the human form in its perfection through drawing. Right. And it took like centuries of, of people to get there uh, because you know, like the earlier, I talked about this in my decline of Western art episode, where the human form is like disproportional, right? 
And Da Vinci comes along and he finally perfects it and he draw he draws it in its perfection. And then Michelangelo follows him, and uh, that stuff had already been worked out. So now Michelangelo's task is to like uh, to like um, take it to the next level, to like to like totally bring it into its like flourishing. Right. The point I'm making though is that when you bring up somebody like Frank Fazetta, who who I admire, I love Frank Fazetta. By the time you get to the 20th century, this depiction of the human form in its perfection is something that like every single comic book artist can do uh, like it's like it's their second nature. And they just repeat like tons and tons and tons of copies being printed off and being sold on the mass market. And it's like it's like this like uh, bauble, this pa this this passive form of entertainment. And one of the things that I want to say earlier about like the fulfillment is one of the things Spengler says happens during the winter phase once the forms are fulfilled is that like the the concern or the care or like the purpose of the civilization or the culture is no longer to express this thing they wanted to express. Rather, it's basically just to make money. So that like this high art that's like reified and placed, you know, in in, in a in a rich person's you know gallery in in Florence during the Renaissance, this skill is now like churning out mass media paperbacks or mass media comic books, um, basically just for money. And it's like the the that is like pure decadence. That is like decadence in its in its highest form, and um, that is a character characteristic of the winter phase of everything is money controls everything at that point. Yeah. I think that is definitely a, a feature of the phase. And I think you can see that in, I believe it's in decline of the West, but it's definitely a, a Spangler uh, theme that he talks about, which is that you can talk about the Greeks without talking much about money. But you cannot talk about the Romans without talking about money. That That's exactly right. That's exactly there, right. There's a, a pivot there that happens. And I think the same thing with, you could say the same thing with Western civilization. I think you can go pretty far through what we call now the Middle Ages, which is something that Spangler um, didn't like. And part of the reason, his impetus actually for writing uh, Decline of the West was to correct this idea of ancient, medieval, modern as one continuous thing. Um, but we can you can talk a lot about, uh, you know, feudalism and you could talk about that era and going into the Baroque era and going into the early modern phase without talking too much about finance. I think you can grasp it without getting into that. But I don't know that you can do that once you hit the 19th century and the 20th century. I think it's so integrated with money um, at that point. And I think he saw each civilization, you know, he named about eight high civilizations that he saw. Um, and he spends most of the book on uh, the classical and the Western, but he does touch upon the Arabian culture, China, India. And uh, he also talks about uh, what he calls the Mexican culture um, that ends with the Aztecs and uh, and with uh, the Spanish coming and overthrowing them. Yeah, I thought he, I thought he had another name for it, not Mexican. Uh, I can't remember what it was now. But yeah, I think he says like, can't remember who came first, the Incans or the Mayans, but the one of them, I think the Mayans are older and they're the, or am I getting that wrong? The Incans are older and they're the culture 
phase and then the mayans are later and they're the civilization phase and that's who um that's who uh cortez found you know chopping off kids heads and throwing them down the stairs so i, I want did you read you've read more spengler than i realized um did you read uh the hour of decision or man in Texas? yeah yeah i've read i've read pretty much including letters actually i think i've written everything that's in english and i've read i've or read everything that's in English, and I've written, uh, read some of Urfragen and uh, Auf Deutsch. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, the the and Man and Technics is an interesting one as well because the you know one point that should be made about Spangler is that he's not when he wrote one he changed over time. I think he was reluctant to see that, but I think he did change over time, and the. Um, when you see what he was early on, which his first work was Decline of the West, that there was, um, he had a purpose to it. And part of the purpose was to dispel some notions about how we viewed history, but then also part of his purpose was sort of a call to action. So when he, something that's very often misunderstood is that he wasn't trying to write this to, as a downer. You know, a lot of people interpret it that way, but he was trying to sort of show what what is still possible, what is necessary, what needs to be done and what is off the table. Um, and that was, you know, that was his purpose. So he was trying to sort of bring some reality uh, into the picture. And one way I think you can look at that is if you look at a high culture as a single person as an individual in the life cycle that he's kind of talking to the older guy is in his physical decline and he's splashing some cold water on him and, and saying that look there's things that you can't do anymore but your life's still not over at this point and you kind of got to focus on what what you can still do and get to it um, and that's how he approaches the book. It's in the introduction of Decline of the West, but that point gets missed a lot because people can't get over the fact that some things are now gone and off the table. I agree with you. Actually, that's one of the main things I wanted to have you on to talk about. So let's do that now. And then maybe at the end, we'll get back. I want to get back to a couple of things. I want to talk to you about technology, the role of technology in the winter phase, because my opinion is it exacerbates it or it kind of like locks it in. Um, and I really wonder, like, what what is the potential for technology to, like, birth something new? And then the other thing I want to talk to you about is you, I want to get back to the Magian thing, because uh, we need to talk about pseudomorphosis, because that's a very important concept that we haven't touched on. But maybe we can circle back because what can we do? I mean, what does, what does Spengler think? We, what do you think Spengler thinks we can do? And what do you think we can do? All right. So let's start with him we, uh, because it's easy because he's told us, right? So both in man and technics, which is a pretty short read actually um, that can be consumed in a day and in the climate of the West, which, you know, is 1100 pages or, or, or something along those lines and both those he has suggestions and he does so in the intro of the client of the west and then he talks about it at the end of man and technics and essentially what he suggests is by saying that certain things are not possible anymore certain types of rebirth 
are not going to be genuine types of rebirth. The new high art is not possible. These things aren't possible that we should get some of that stuff out of our head. And he's got a quote that I couldn't quote verbatim off the top of my head here um, in the intro to Decline of the West. But essentially, he says, you know, you have to put your paintbrush down and start thinking about the sea. You start you need to start thinking about what he calls techniques, which are kind of tactics for living um, and, and get your head out of the cloud about the clouds about the idea that you're going to have this big rebirth in art and you're going to have a, a rebirth to your entire civilization. We're just going to snap our fingers. And and uh, he's saying that that's not possible. So you're essentially kind of, you know, again, with that analogy that you're, if you're thinking of a single individual, he's saying that, you know, you're an older guy now. You're not 20 years old. Those 20-year-old things are not on the table for you. They're off the table. So what are you going to do now? Uh, and that's what his... That's really where he's coming from in the book. And he wants people to get, uh, and definitely in Man and Technics, he suggests that you, um, that, you know, there's an end coming. Uh, and frankly, he thinks that there's an end to technical civilization because he thinks that's a Western concept. Um, and I think he makes a pretty compelling case for that, which is another thing that, that causes a lot of people a lot of heartburn on the internet. The idea that we could ever, go to a lower state of, of technological capability, you know, forever. Um, people have a real hard time with that. Uh, but I tend to agree with him on that. But he ultimately, he wants people to focus on uh, politics. He says he wants people, people to focus on things like sea power, things like uh, technical subjects, and get away from some of the artsy things that we can't even do anymore. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I I look at um, Man and Technics for sure and kind of our decision as well, but definitely Man and Technics as like an addendum to the decline of the West and like a last chapter, like a, a, a new final chapter, because the second to last chapter in the second, uh, the second uh, volume is the form world of economic life, A, money. And then the last chapter is the form world of economic life, B, the machine. But the machine chapter is really, really short. And he just kind of like throws a couple ideas out there and doesn't really develop them. And Man of Technics feels like a, a full development of his ideas about uh, technology. And then, you know, he he lays out a couple problems with technology that he expands on greatly in um the hour of decision which is more about politics really yeah but there are some people who think that technology could be like our way out of this that technology could be the thing that like breaks us out of this like uh i, I don't know breaks us out of this decline i guess and births something new births a new civilization and you see all sorts of stuff. People throw out all sorts of stuff. Some of it's like totally ridiculous. and But some of it's maybe reasonable. I mean, the most obvious one is Elon Musk trying to get to Mars. But, you know, both Trump and I think even George W. Bush were like giving lip service to the idea of going to Mars, uh, going to the moon, mining asteroids for minerals. I mean, a lot of these futuristic guys, even a lot of the liberals. I've heard Neil deGrasse Tyson talk about it. Um some of these other guys, 
futuristic people, uh, Yuval Noah Harari, you know, people we don't like, people who aren't conservative, uh, will talk about like the the potential of of technology to do, you know, to basically like take us out of the quagmire that we've gotten into with politics and things like that. And I actually don't know the answer. the The right wing answer to these guys that I've brought up, by the way, is uh, Nick Land because he says basically the same thing. I don't know where I stand with that. I'd like to hear where you stand with that. Spengler basically says that we are going to, we basically have these tools and and please, you know, if I'm mischaracterizing this, correct me. We basically have these tools at our disposal. We invented this. We have industry. We have all this innovation and we're giving it up. We're, 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 we're letting it go. We're not using it to its full potential. And he talks about like the colored world revolution. And he talks about how like engineering is taught to Chinese people and Indian people, mostly by the British. He's, he's constantly lobbying, uh, you know, laying the, laying the, the, the decline of the West at the feet of the, of the English. But, um, I don't know if you want to come in there for. Yeah. Yeah. He certainly has a, a little bit of a bone to pick and, but frankly, I think he's got a point on some of that, that, the, he calls it a treason to technics, I think, in, in man and technics. And the idea being that technical um, machine techniques of the type that we have are a Western creation, did not exist in, in uh, the classical world, which was pretty technologically stagnant, frankly, um, despite having, you know, despite having, in theory, the capability to do more than they did. And that's part of the reason why I think I think he believes that techniques of a machine type are a Western civilization concept. And he says that that it was given away, and it was given away in part, I think, through the British Empire. Um, but I don't think he lays it entirely in the feet of the English. I think he would openly say that the entirety of Europe was kind of giving it away. Um, but the key point there ultimately is because the inward drive is what right. created this, right? Exactly. The inward drive is what created this. It's one thing to copy it. It's even one thing, another thing to maintain it for a while. But the inward drive that created it in the first place is, an, is only a Western thing would be his thesis. So if you string that out to its conclusion that that it won't be maintained, that at some point, some generations in the future, his view, and he says this directly in Man and Technics, that the it will all come to ruin uh, and there will be a collapse. And I think his position would be that countries like China and, other, and, and Russia and other parts of the world that are not part of the West, that they will ultimately falter on technological grounds as well, just because it's not in their soul. It's not in their nature. They can copy it. They can use it now. But ultimately, for them, it's a tool where for the Western people, um, we've had it as something that was, you know, maybe not now because we're sort of the Western soul is dying. But up to a point, it was driven as a necessity, as a a necessity of soul for us to do that. That's one characteristic of the Western civilization that he describes is we sought to master nature. Our symbol is infinity. We sought to bend nature like no one ever has before. And that trait will die with the Western civilization. 
Yeah, well, very well said. So there's like two two ways for this to go, for for it to die. And they, they I guess they kind of work in tandem. And the first would be like Western people, and this this totally relates to what I was saying about the forms, uh, because it's the same thing with art. Western people will will forget how to like build and maintain these things. They will lose the skills for this like intricate, uh, elaborate technology. Anywhere from the the space program uh, to rock, rocket ships to engineering like dams and things like that, and we're already seeing this where there was a breach of an oil pipeline on like a that's run on computers. I think there was a hack or something like that, and and they had to go out like physically to the pipeline and fix it. And I think someone testified before Congress that like there wasn't anybody who knew how to fix the pipeline. Like there was nobody on the payroll who knew how to fix that. And um, th this is what happens. I mean, the 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 later uh, church in the Dark Ages like had no idea what to do with the Colosseum. They couldn't. They could never rebuild it. They they didn't. They had no use for it. So they stripped all the. Uh, I think it was iron or whatever the metal, the girders inside. You know, they chiseled it out with a hammer and use it and melted it down for their own purposes because they couldn't like, they couldn't use it anymore. And they they even say in the in the Dark Ages that. Europeans talked about the Romans as if they were giants. Like they thought like giants actually lived among them because everything they built was so big. And by that time that, you know, the 10th century, people had no idea. They couldn't even conceive of the possibility of a human building that, let alone doing it themselves. So, you know, that's going to happen to us with our painting and with our, with our engineering and our, our rocket science and things like that. And then the flip side is not just like, the, the the Chinese or the Indians, and I'm using them as examples because that's who Spengler names, but it's interesting that Spengler points at these two cultures, and those are the people like all through the 2000s, right? You kept hearing about the rise of the, the rest. It was always those two cultures that were going to like overtake America, and you still hear that with China. And uh, I think part of what Spengler was saying is that like they'll like lose interest basically because they're not, as you were saying, driven to make these things they're just kind of using them i'm kind of reiterating what you said as tools to to like compete on the world stage with the west and once that competition is done they're gonna just like walk away and move on to the next thing because it's not like part of their essence or their being to like operate this technology yeah i think i think that's pretty much where he wraps up in the last couple pages of man and technics is that, that as i read him that's essentially what um, he's saying is that driving force is what carries it onward. And eventually, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you ever see those kind of cliche videos of some seven-year-old Chinese kid that's, you know, playing oh, yeah. a piece of classical music and it's perfect. And, um, you know, you know, you can copy and you could, but you can't create, right. You can't sort of that new driving force of a new vein um, that's entirely new and not a copy is something that probably has something of a spiritual component to it and in his mind that was tied to the people yeah i mean and this is directly in spangler i think it's in decline of the west but it might be a man of technics where he says basically what you just said that a people from a separate culture that didn't create that art form can no never do anything more than copy it uh They'll never be able to like evolve the form, you know? So 
All right, so so you know, I don't want to hold you to any predictions, but uh I mean I want to I want to just ask you to kind of dive in further about what what options you think you personally think we have and maybe you can incorporate the concept of the Caesar and the concept of the transition from culture to civilization in that. So if you look at uh Rome transitioning from the republic to the empire the 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 republic was tearing itself apart it was in long slow decline there were major problems coming up that they couldn't fix and the caesars came along and they they kind of like arrested the decline they addressed the problems they fixed the problems you know the problems of land reform the gauls the pirates all that i talk about this elsewhere and they sort of and this is a hard thing to talk about. I don't want to get bogged down in this, but like they didn't necessarily like improve the living conditions for the people living in the city of Rome, you know, necessarily. They just threw bread and circuses at them, but they did keep the empire going and in in inaugurate like uh, at least a century of like flourishing and conquest. Um, and they did things like lose three legions in the Tudorberg forest and basically like not not miss a, a step at all from something like that um that you know looking realistically at the republic I, you know it's hard to imagine especially considering the fact that like all of their wars prior to that were civil wars so it's hard to imagine how long they could have persisted without completely collapsing until the caesars came along and stopped it and if you look at america now you can give some details if you want but i think we should just take for granted that america is on a slow steady decline pretty much since like the 50s i mean we pretty much world one world war ii we're on top of the the globe literally and we just like immediately started our decline it feels like maybe we had i don't know maybe the 50s 60s and 70s could be considered some so where do you think we are, man? I'll, I'll stop rambling. I want to know: Do you think we're we're already in the civilization phase, or are we about to are we about to uh, are we about to transition into that? Did we miss the boat on the Caesar? Did we already have a Caesar? I mean, where are you with that? So I think I'm being kind of an orthodox Spangler person if I say that you know his view was that the civilization phase started in the 19th century. Um, and then it was inaugurated by Napoleon. That's his his view. And he believes that that goes for somewhere in the neighborhood of hundreds of years. Um, he saw, you know, what's interesting about him is there's segments of the right currently um, that would see something like the 1920s, 1910s, you know, other than the Great War itself, but that general period uh, as being, uh, you know, some sort of golden age compared to the, the what we see today. But what was striking for him is that it was already in steep decline. Uh, and I don't think he was even alone in thinking that. And I think that's why his work was so popular. You know, he sold hundreds of thousands of books in Germany uh, in that interwar period. It was an extremely popular work, which is astonishing, given the fact that it's a very complex um work that is 1100 pages long and he but in his view the uh the caesar period is, is just to explain what he meant by that is the i think i just posted on this um maybe yesterday the caesarism to him 
means a period where you transition into government becomes more about the will. It sort of returns to an, an earlier phase in a way and that it becomes government becomes about the will of a, of a man. Um, and it's uh, even if he's acting through others or others are convincing him, it sort of gets away from the other forms that had taken taken hold during the civilization phase. So the Caesarism comes towards the end of the civilization phase um, when you're into the civilization phase where there's uh, an exhaustion the and the forms become um, the institutions basically just become um, paper paper versions and name only versions of what had come before. And you saw that with uh, with Julius Caesar, where he was preceded, and you know it, it, there had been, Rome had been sort of the Republic had been getting rocked for decades um, through various things that had happened uh, with tumult that was happening um, in Rome, and then by the time that he took power, you know a lot of the institutions, the Senate itself, um, was a shell of what it was. You know, peak Rome was. Um, Rome during the, the wars with Carthage. That was that was peak Rome. Um, and that later period, like you had mentioned, the German forests and all that, he that is a period of decline. You know, and I think if you were to do a hypothetical matchup of the Rome of Rome at the time of Scipio Africanus um, during uh, the Punic Wars with Rome of the Empire. Um, in the first couple centuries AD, the it's no contest. I think Republican Rome just would completely steamroll um, the Imperial Rome. But Imperial Rome didn't have an opponent. You know, Carthage was a legitimate world power, and Rome was able to take it down. The after that, there, there's really nothing that even compares to what they had to deal with in terms of threat um, as Carthage. So, but to get back to the civilization and Caesar phase in the end game. What happens is a couple things happen with the people. One, you see a loss of um, the civilization phase is marked by loss of faith. The old faith of the culture begins to evaporate and people have a hard time believing it. And I think we've seen that certainly um, since the 19th century uh, and going into the 20th century. And it really hasn't got too much better. But then when you reach the civilization phase, he has a term that he calls the second religiousness where a sort of simple stripped down version of the religion kind of reappears but maybe it isn't as fervent as it once was and i think he takes that example from the roman imperial religions where they had these mystery cults um, that had appeared but they weren't of the sort of potency and cultural potency that you saw with early classical culture with its belief in the in the Greek gods, um, so there's some things that happen culturally that happen, and I I don't think here presently that we've necessarily seen that. I do think that we've seen the institutions definitely in the last twenty years have begun to kind of unravel. Um, you know, things have happened now. We could certainly see with not just the United States but in Western Europe in general that you have institutions that are doing things now that were unthinkable um, and that are way outside the box of what they had been doing during the Cold War time period. What do you mean? And, can you give an example? 
Well, I'd say in America, I'd say things that the DOJ has been up to is, is, has been uh, pretty obnoxious going back to the 90s with, um, you know, what happened with Waco, what happened with Ruby Ridge and the, you know, I don't necessarily want to go on a, on a complete political tangent here, but I think we can all agree that the institutions themselves have lost uh, a little bit of their internal coherence in, in recent decades. And arguably it goes back even further than that, depending on how you look at the Kennedy assassination, et cetera. But uh, the, there was a time period when the judiciary in the United States, for instance, wasn't a, just a political weapon, right? I think we can agree there. Um, now that has certainly turned, right? So where someone is tried for a case is, is almost the whole game, right? So we saw that recently with Ricky Vaughn and the Ricky Vaughn situation of where he was tried was important. Um, and you see, you saw that recently with uh, the Daniel Perry case that just came out, um, just had a, a verdict um, recently in Austin, Texas. And the so you, what you see here, uh, the institutions breaking down where they're beginning to be, to wobble a little bit, and they're becoming essentially just sort of political forms um, that don't have anything in uh, any real relation to their original purpose, and then they begin to become kind of shams. And I think that was what Caesar saw. In fact, I think there's a famous quote in Latin that refers to that the you know the republic is just a thing in name only now, um, and we're starting to see that now. So. That would be a sign that's consistent with what Spangler would predict. And in fact, he in the decline of the West, he has a little table, very interesting table, if you like that kind of thing, in the end of the book where he lays things out. And there's a little in the corner of the one of the tables, there's a little prediction where essentially he predicts that we should be experiencing during our time presently should be on the time when um, we are in that period in Rome of the first century BC um, time period. So, you know, there's not an exactness to this. I, I don't think even Spangler would claim that there's an exactness to how things and, and things can intervene in timelines, but the general trend is going to be similar. So does that mean that we have a Caesar that's on the horizon? I'm not sure, uh, because there's a complicating factor, I think, in that, which he talks about in Man and Technics, of that as technology grows and as Western technology uniquely grew, um, there becomes a, there's a primacy to the organizations and what he calls enterprises. And that there's a tension between that and the sort of singular individual vision that he describes as, as quote, Caesarism. So I'm not sure how that would reflect and how that would play out in Western culture that, um, and, you know, in his vision, this happens in every culture. Uh, the obvious example is Caesar himself, Julius Caesar himself, but the, he sees that something similar happened in Egypt um, where there was a disruption around the Hyksos time period who were probably Aryan people, maybe Semitic people, but I think Spangler thought they were Aryan people that came from the north and um, kind of ravaged Egypt and ended up being a 
um, centuries-long struggle, and then ultimately Egypt kind of reasserted itself and entered an imperial phase. The um, so the imperial phase happens in every culture exactly, but I'm not sure that you can identify a particular Caesar, for instance, one person in Egypt. You certainly can in the classical culture. So it's unclear exactly how this is going to play out, but there will be, if you follow Spangler and you accept Spangler, um, his prediction anyway, is that there will be a true imperial phase, um, which we are probably in at this point, I think. Um, well, that's the question. I feel like if we're yeah. in, I'm not trying to cut you off, but if we're in it, I feel like we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess, what do you mean by fucked ultimately is the question, but the uh, it's the expansion of, you know, the of the U.S., which is kind of the premier Western power at this point, obviously, and that's been true for decades now. The the expansion of the U.S. across the world, I, I think it's hard to look at that anything other than an imperial type projection. Um, I think there's really not much disagreement on that point now. Now, whether this follows Spangler or not is, is a question of, you know, interpretation of how you want to look at it. Uh, but the general trend line, I think, has been shown to be true. I think Spangler's predictions, he, he made some predictions about globalism and a speech in 1923 that were eerily accurate. And this is way before anyone was talking about these. Yeah, concepts. he was way ahead of the curve. He was way ahead of the curve on the Soviet Union. I'm downplaying that the world historical significance of the Soviet Union. He thought that it would end, you know, in sometime in the 20th century. Um, and that it wasn't going to be the ultimate, you know, movement and the ultimate fulfillment. Uh, and I think he was correct on that. Um, the, so he sees it as being that there's going to be an imperial phase in some way. And it's hard to see how it's not going, that we're not kind of already in that. So how that plays into the, quote, Caesarism that people like to graft on, I'm not sure. But he certainly is, Spangler was open to the idea that you don't have to have a Caesar to enter the imperial phase. He clearly was open to that because he talks about it in conjunction with Egypt. The um, In the Egyptian example, which is not a prominent part of the West, but, uh, but it's there. And you can see it even in his charts um, that he includes. The so it might be that we are entering this imperial phase or in it um, without there being a, a Caesar, and you, you speculate as to why that is, but um, I think it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, so you know, Spengler does say like that his model or his system is it's a pretty closed system. It's like there's only so many possibilities, and my my perspective on history in general. It's just that as time goes by and as things develop, the number of potentials for the future decreases and uh, things can only go one of a few ways, one of a very limited number of ways. And I think the future for America is pretty. Um, it's the future is not I don't want to say the future is not bright, but the future is certainly not the the, the possibilities are not endless in my view. And the reason why I said, like, if we're in the in imperial phase, which you could make an argument that we are, I won't make that argument here, uh, but I'm hoping that we're not because if 
we're in the imperial phase. My opinion is that we're fucked because the, the we have illegitimate rulers who, uh, you know, the as much as I disliked, you know, every president of my entire life, especially like George W. Bush, I feel like those guys, his his cabinet and his people and the neocons really did a lot of work to just totally dismantle and, and fuck this country. And I think Obama's main failure, I'm not a fan of Obama either, never was. His main failure was that uh, he didn't really like fix any of the problems or or set us on a different course or a new course. He he actually kind of like set us on course for like a whole new set of problems that weren't even around until he came along. But I still consider the people running the country now to be the most illegitimate of of all of them and i my thing is and this brings me into a lot of conflict with like everyone basically my perspective is like now that these people have power i don't foresee them giving it up i don't see how we can get out of it i definitely don't think we can vote our way out of it and uh some of these people right are whole a lot of these people are holdovers from before Trump, like Biden himself, Blinken, Samantha Power. I don't I don't think she's in the cabinet, but she's uh, she's 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 around still. Uh, Janet Yellen. Several other people, they 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 like already felt the scare and, and whoever else is behind the scenes pulling the God knows who George Soros, everybody else. They already kind of felt the scare of like what it might look like if uh, their policies are fi they're finally like called to task. For their policies and the and the and the the things that they're doing to the American people, uh, when the American people have someone speak for them, uh, Trump clearly put the fear of God in these people, and they already got a taste of what it might be like for them to be voted out and for them to be uh, for the people to really have a voice in our political system. And I just can't envision a world in which these people give up their power again because they have a bunch of machinations and schemes that they want to see through to completion. And uh, they can't do that in a true democracy. So the reason I say that we're fucked if we're in the imperial phase is it's like just this forever. It's like we're Byzantium now. Um, and the only reason why I, I talk about the Caesar figure is I don't see any other way than by having some really strong, willed, rich, like like limitlessly rich person who's also charismatic, uh, has ideas, has people behind him, has the will of the people behind him, and whose uh, uh, ideology, I don't even want to use the word ideology, whose ideas are opposed to those of the regime. So Trump certainly fits the bill, but I think it's too late. I think the sh his ship has sailed. I, I hate to say that. He's still like the best candidate. He still has like <clears throat> the best ideas and the best policies. And he's the guy that I would want of all the everybody in the political landscape. He's the guy that I would want to be the president. I just I don't foresee them letting him run. I don't foresee them letting him get the GOP nomination. I don't foresee them letting him get into office. Um, who knows what the hell they'll do. So anyway, I'll stop ranting now because your time is limited. But I just the reason why I hope we're still in the transition phase and we're not in the imperial phase. And the reason why I keep talking about the Caesar figure is because that for me, in my opinion, is like the last hope of the West. 
Because if someone else doesn't come along who's not of the regime and doesn't supplant the regime and basically like bring them to heel uh, like Augustus did to the Senate. And, you know, he t- he did a lot of things that I probably could get in trouble for talking about. So let's just make an offhand reference to the prescriptions uh, without something like that happening. I just foresee like, you know, a thousand years of decadence, like like what happened in Byzantium, just illegitimate people taking the reins of power and basically just looting the empire and looting the middle class endlessly until they don't exist anymore. And then everything collapses, which is exactly what Byzantium was. It was a thousand years of looting the aristocracy and the middle class and taxing them literally to death to fight pointless wars uh, until the Ottomans came and took them over. That's my yeah, black I, pill speech. <laughs> yeah, I, the way I look at it actually is I look at it as two two strands and two concerns. One being the local political concern of you know what I sometimes call better or worse, the better or worse decision, which are what I think politics is still good for. The you know, for instance. Um, I think we were talking about the guy that got uh, Daniel Kelly, I think his name was the in Texas who, you know, he was driving an Uber, came up on a BLM protest, a uh, white, actually a white BLM protester held up an AK rifle at him. And then Daniel Kelly shot him with a revolver, killing him. And then he just was convicted for uh, murder in Texas for defending himself. The, but notice that it looks like, you know, knock on wood, that Governor Abbott of Texas is going to, um, through their process, their unique Texas process, hopefully get him pardoned. That, though, is a particular concrete thing that politics can help for, help help us in, which is getting people that have actually some power that are better than the alternative, right? So in, if that was to happen in New York, California, et cetera, that governor is not going to is not going to be pardoning anybody. Right. That guy's going to prison for life. So that's a real thing that where when people say something along the lines of, um, you know, politics is useless and all that, it's certainly not useless for that. Right. That immediate concern of, you know, even things like the, the, the trans and all this other stuff that we're, we're assaulted with in our society. Um, it can be better or it can be worse. And I think politics helps there. But the larger question is the Spang, you know, the Spanglerian question is what is the trend line of the civilization as a whole? And I think that is, it's done. I mean, that, that line has already been carried out. And in fact, it'd be an interesting question what Spangler would be writing and urging if he was alive today. Uh, because even in the thirties, he was saying, you know, essentially that our time's running short. We got to get serious right now uh, if we're going to be doing anything or else, you know, we're just going to be heading into civilization oblivion. Now, as you pointed out with the um, the uh, Falahs and the, the Falahin, that it doesn't mean that life is over. It just means that your civilization as a, something that produces high forms of a type um, is over. Uh the and I think we're pretty much there already. I, I think it's over. Uh, clearly, there's no art that's being produced. Um, the the people themselves are are relatively degraded. You know, I have a section in 
We're not talking about my book today, but the the section in King of All Things where I talk about a, a very interesting Civil War strength test that was given to Civil War um, veterans that where their pound for pound strength was uh, far in excess, despite having no gyms, was in excess of what we see today, pound for pound. So there's been a physical degradation. We see that in um, uh, even in things like uh, fertility. Um, sperm counts in males, testosterone, that there's a physical, biological decline that's happening, even of, of the whole. But Spangler believed that the civilization was made up of essentially an, an elite, and there's a type, uh, sort of a, a noble type, whatever you want to phrase you want to use for it. And that type eventually biologically evaporates. And I think that's already happened. So trend line, we're heading down that road regardless of, of what we do. But I still think there are things that can be done um, that make it better for us. And I also think there's still possibilities to life that uh, are there, even though the civilization itself is, you know, um, in a very sad state right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's why we... That's why it's good. That's what I mean. That's why I have a podcast at all, really, is because our task as just regular people is to like make culture. And while some people like Moldbug have like really, uh, you could call them, I, I mean, I would call them delusions of grandeur if not for the last like year or two where he's really making like a massive massive wave and he's really having an impact on the culture and i'm really impressed by it. and you know you don't have to agree with or, or like him but his whole thing is like make culture do culture don't don't focus on politics and i'm i'm 100 on board with that so i wanted to feature people on my on my podcast like you who are writing books and thinking about these things and talking about these things and uh having some sort of an impact on the culture and having having like a material impact with the way people live their lives. Now I read the rogue scholar press edition of decline of the West, which is excellent. And also the uh, hour of decision. They also have a book called Jack Kerouac and the decline of the West. I don't know if you read that one. I have. Yeah. Oh, excellent. It's, it's so simple, good, right? Simple, simple vice. Yeah. Yeah, man. And apparently he has an article in the latest man's world. I haven't read it yet about the John Rambo movie. Have you seen that? I have I have not seen that. Yeah, me neither. I got to watch it and read that article. But uh, my point in bringing that up, um, that book is really important to me because I loved the beats as like a 18, 19 year old. And um, now to read Spengler and to find out that, you know, Ginsburg, who I, who I don't like and Kerouac, who I admire, and then Burroughs, who I am like, I like half of him and half of him I'm disgusted by uh but he, he's a good writer to find out that these guys all read decline of the west and like were conscientiously this is the key these guys were conscientiously like accepting that spengler was right decline is real and that they themselves were the falahin and that they set out to like make culture in the face of decline like conscientiously to sort of like revivify their own personal life, their own personal experience. And they had this like huge 
revivifying effect on American culture that, you know, you could say what you will. It was a mixed bag, certainly, of course, the beats and the hippie culture and everything. Certainly a mixed bag. I'm not fully endorsing them, but I do think we should definitely take them seriously and pay attention uh, to, to find out that they knew that they were facing the same thing we are. And uh, they set out to try to like have some sort of effect. I think like that's probably the most we can do. And it could down the road have like major long-term positive effects on American culture. So anybody from you writing your book, Curtis Yarvin writing uh, for Passage Press and his his blog, uh, Zero HP Lovecraft, who's been on the show and go down the list. I mean, everybody who's been on my show, if you're on, if you're on my show, it's because you're one of the people doing that. And because I think part of decline is that the machinations of the political process are more and more over time taken out of the hands of the people. So uh, it starts with the aristocracy and uh, eventually evolves into democracy. So people like actually have the chance to like help run their country and they have a republic and things go well for a while. And then it all starts to fall apart and it starts to ossify into an oligarchy or into an empire or into whatever, whatever you have a Caesar. And uh, this is the last thing I'll say, and then we can wrap up. I, I don't know if you have any last thoughts or last words, but I do want to give you the last word. The last thing I want to say was that um, uh, what you were saying about what happened in Texas and, and the governor Abbott may, 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 I want to make two quick points about that. He may pardon this guy. The first point is that we're supposedly in a race war in America. There's supposedly this like racial war going on. Uh, but when you look at like Kyle Rittenhouse, a white kid who went to a protest supposedly ostensibly about Black Lives Matter, he shoots three white people. And uh, then this this case in Texas, it's a it's a white guy shooting another white guy at another Black Lives Matter protest. So. This is this is like a civil war, basically. And I'm not the first to come to this conclusion. I don't know how you feel about that. I'd be interested. This isn't even really a race war. This is really a civil war between two like factions of white people. And, you know, the fate of this guy, Perry, Daniel Perry, I think his name was. I hope he gets off. I hope he gets pardoned. But I don't see it as like exactly the same way you do i don't necessarily see it as like uh, a proof that like politics still works i see it more as like ramping up of factionalism and it's coming to like a boiling point where people are actually killing each other and people are actually like facing like life in prison and that these are the problems that the republic and the regime like either can address a or b they stoke it because you know it's anarcho, anarcho tyranny where they're able to easily easier control and maintain power these are the types of things that make the people primed and ready for a caesar figure is this 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 sort of like endemic political factional violence and, um, you know, I had I had some other points to make, but we're running out of time. I wanted to let you come back in. I don't know if you have a rejoinder to that, but I do yeah. see that as like part of the long, slow slide, either into like Brazilification or Haitiification or South Africanification, which are like nightmare scenarios, in my opinion, or uh, the Caesar, like priming people to be ready for the Caesar. Yeah, I think on the Daniel Perry thing, if I I wasn't trying to imply that that politics works you know i think was what you just said that but just that it 
on the margin, there is such a thing even now as better or worse. And that would you rather be Daniel Perry that, driving your Uber um, and be fortunate that you're in a state that would have a governor that would pardon you? Or would you rather be in a in another state where that is absolutely not a possibility? And that's where I think that there still is a margin. There still are things that are better or worse. We saw that during the COVID lockdowns, too, um, that there are areas in the country that are better or worse to be in and that there were governors that, that said we're not going to lock down or we're going to unlock sooner. And then there are other areas where they're still trying to you know, have people locked down in 2022. So um, that's where I think politics can make a difference. But where, where I don't think it can make a difference is sort of reversing the Spanglerian decline. I just think it's we're way past that at this point. Um, the Overall, I would say that I would like to make a kind of concluding point that I differ with Moldbug on um, where on many points, actually, but on, on your point that you mentioned of his about creating culture, that uh, I have a little bit of a kind of a turbo Spangler, Spanglerian view on this and that I think that we have to be orienting our people on techniques. I think we have to be focused on carving out um, some kind of autonomy in this world so that we're not just uh, our people, our families, our lineage, our kin are not bombarded with, you know, what we, everything that we deplore about our society today that you see all over the timeline on Twitter. Uh, and, but I think the way to do that is to have our people focus on that. And what do I mean by being focused on techniques? I mean, having actual skills and capabilities, whether those are in the political side, whether those are on um, technical engineering side, that I do think that we have to be reaching for power and that, uh, and to the extent that that differs from reaching from art, then I think you got to choose reaching for power. Um, and that's where I still fall in line with what Spangler was urging, um, you know, 90 years ago when he was saying that, uh, you know, we got to put down the paintbrush and, start thinking about the sea yeah and de definitely no disagreements from me uh with really any of that i i just worry that in the hands of these illegitimate overlords that technology will never do anything more than like subject us to uh, <laughs> ever increasingly absurd iterations of like pornography and uh you know pop music or whatever or whatever the hell we're seeing i mean have you you have you watched a, a a kid's show or movie it's all this like ai garbage that like most of it is like a it's like a it's like worse than the the hand-drawn cartoons we had in the 80s you know what i mean like none of this stuff is being you i mean sometimes you see like a a good example here and there but for the most part like you know people make like such a big deal about something like avatar OK, and it's like, OK, maybe it's good and, and, and you like that, but it's not really like creating any sort of like cultural renaissance. It's not really utilizing the technology. It's just it's just eye candy. It's just pop eye candy. Um, I, I mean, I could I, I'm like stumbling over myself trying to give examples. There's so many of them. Uh, Uber. Right. 
like we we have these cell phones that are going to be this like revolutionize uh, our lives and all it does is like you can you can now get mcdonald's delivered to your house i think you need a true and I, i'm not like refuting you i think you agree with me on this um yeah, i do i, I, I just, do agree i do I agree just, that that it but again it's it ultimately it's what is I think grasping for quote solutions is part of the problem at this stage of where we're at because people have to have, it seems like they have to have the solve for X equation handed to them before they take steps forward. Right. So the, uh, my point is that work that's put in emphasis, that's put into technics so that we do have, little toll holds of power and that there is some sort of narrow because the other question is what is we right there's people that would be very happy with dialing it back to um spangler's time period in the 20s and 30s where he thought it was in terminal decline and totally decadent um and he thought music during that time period was garbage and but there are people that are on our timeline daily that would call that a golden age, right? So what exactly is we? Is it people that want to dial it back to that period? Is it people that want to dial it back to um, divine right of kings from hundreds of years ago? So what exactly is we? Is Does we include people that would want women to not have the ability to vote? Is that we? Um, you know, the I think we all fall in various stages of that. You know, for me, I tend to want to be pushing things further back um, because I think it was better generally then. But at the same time, I don't think you can do that. Yeah, man, I'm in total agreement with you there. Yeah, I, I think it, once something's played out, it's already happened, right? There's no dialing it back. So not in any kind of way that has any lasting um, lasting ability, right? You can't just sort of uh, LARP as a divine right of kings, you know, uh, aristocratic uh, monarch in today's world. It's because it's gone, right? That, that sentiment is dead. So... Uh, but ultimately, what can we do is we can carve out little we's, right, of people that we tend to agree with and family members and kin. And we could carve out something there for ourselves and have some kind of meaningful lives. And again, I'll just go back to the individual example of a lifespan under Spangler that if you were to turn to someone and say you're 65 years old, right. you've got an illness, it's going to kill you in 10 years. Um, what do you do? Right. So the that's kind of where we're at. We're at this sort of point of what do we do? So the what some are doing is they're going out and spending the rest of their time searching for a youth potion, which I don't think exists. Um, then other people are maybe wanting to kill themselves because they, they just have to they can't see their own mortality it's just impossible for them to, to grasp and they call it black pilling or whatever like is it black pilling to say that you yourself astral are going to die one day is that black yeah i know me, exactly it's not. yeah it's i not. agree so but i think that's where we are and we have to carve out some kind of meaningful existence and something that we could pass on to our our descendants and kin of of and i think that requires techniques and i think it doesn't require um going to burning man and all this this, um, yeah. this burning, burning man nobility that yeah. was rightfully uh, chastised for. But I don't, I just don't see, I guess the sticking point, I don't mean to like harangue you about this, but the one sticking point for me is I just don't see how we get from here to there without a, like a Caesar figure. I don't see how we like 
grasp the reins of technology because this has been a decline in in the use of technology since the 70s i mean what's what is what have we invented since the 70s that are like good for civilization and useful and and like improving the lives of like humanity and like helping us reach new you know heights of culture i don't i can't think of anything the internet yeah. i mean the yeah. internet yeah the, the internet one. you have personal computing and you have uh you know maybe some maybe some other things uh, on the margins regarding energy maybe uh and probably some other subjects that escape me but but techniques means more than technology right so i think i should clarify that that technique, oh, yeah he talks well. about techniques as being the strategy of living so that means i think something like uh you know a lot of us follow uh, rich barris the um a pollster uh, who is probably one of the, even though he's relatively neutral, he's not really too much of a right-wing guy, I think, when it comes down to it. But he's someone that isn't hostile to uh, the right, certainly. And he understands how to win elections. He understands how to get across the line in certain counties of the United That's knowledge. That's techniques. Um, the, But we, you know, aren't pushing our people in that direction of learning these things of, you know, how did, how do we get, uh, I think some people feel positively about someone like a JD Vance um, in Ohio, the, how do we get more of that in power and not necessarily because we think it's quote the solution that's going to reverse a Spanglerian decline, but because it's better and it allows us to carve something out. And just as that 65 year old man that's facing death in a decade, um, he's not hallucinating that there's a potion that he can swallow that's going to drag him back to age 20, but he still can find a meaningful life and he could still have something more as opposed to something less to give to his descendants. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'll leave it there. But my estimation is that things have just declined and deteriorated so far for such a long period of time and the left is becoming so insane uh that we don't really have time we don't we like blake masters just lost trump trump got kicked out of office like i just don't feel like we have time to like do any of that anymore i think basically what we have to do is hope that the regime continues to like piss off and insult uh and go after people like trump and elon musk and and harangue them to the point where they're like you know, Trump's too old now, I think, but uh, I wish I, I wish he wasn't because he could have been a <laughs> he could have been a contender. And who knows? Maybe I'll be surprised in 2024. And, you know, I don't like to get too political. I, I actually don't mind DeSantis and I would vote for him. The problem is, is I think they're trying to use him to divide the Republican base against Trump. That's the problem. Uh, but I think he's great. Yeah, I, 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 I wish I moved to Florida before the the pandemic i mean um, i think he's willingly accepting that role um yeah know, I, and it's disappointing me <laughs> um and i i said the same thing in november last year when he won big in florida and uh i was uh, i had some people come at me for it of you know stoking division or whatever but it seemed obvious to me that he was shifting towards he's gotten in bed with the wrong people Yep. Um, I don't think he I think he's a politician, by the way. I, I don't think he's anything special other than he's done good things in Florida. But uh, I think he's kind of showing what he is right now, which. Yeah, it's too bad. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, that that uh but I agree with you that it's things are bad, but I think again that we should be thinking a little bit about bifurcating the issues of halting this massive decline versus what do we need to do so that our kids have better lives than right. they might get, right? That we're heading towards a state where our kids and grandkids are going to have absolute shit. So the what can we do to make that better, regardless of where we're heading in a Spanglerian sense? So I just think it's an important thing to, to be thinking about, but I, I don't disagree with you. And I also think that it can be a waste, though, of this, there's a little bit of a sense you get sometimes of people kind of waiting for a Caesar notion. And I'm not oh, sure that's that the I problem. See it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure that I see it because, you know, Trump, there were the makings of that, but he didn't have a 13th Legion, did he? So it's just a guy, right? So um, the, uh, at some point, that kind of person is going to, you know, Caesars in history have force backing them. And I just don't see wh where that would be coming from um, at this point. So at some point, we're waiting for a Caesar is means that our grandkids are worse off. Yeah, well, stay tuned. I don't know if I'm going to release this episode before I do this uh, Twitter space. But um, I'm having a, a shameless self-promotion. Uh, sorry to be so gratuitous with your time. But but it's to a point, though. I'm, I'm making a point to your point, which is that um, we're doing a read-through of Moldbug on Twitter spaces that I'm hosting. Uh, so look out for those. And the last one is going to be to discuss about the way Moldbug uh, envisions a transition of power from the democracy we have to like the CEO monarch and the board of directors that he says like should rule the country. And I, I intend to game a few scenarios about how that can happen. And it's conceivable that it can happen without like all the bloodshed that we saw in Rome, uh, because we don't have the military martial society that they had. I mean, the, 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 the two, economic engines that drove the Roman economy were slavery and warfare. And like those just aren't factors anymore for us, you know? So I don't know. People think Caesar has to be the guy who marches onto the floor of the Senate under the Praetorian guard, or I don't even think they were the Praetorian guard yet. They were like just Caesar's veteran seasoned veterans. And it's the same thing with, uh, with the third Reich and, and the fascists in Italy, like the guys, Hitler himself and the guys he was surrounded by were military veterans. I mean, Mussolini was a scrapper. The dude would like duel people and wrestle people. And that's just not how our leaders are in America today. So I don't necessarily think any of this has to involve that sort of thing. Cause that's just not how it's done in America. Uh, but you know, I could take that much farther, but the point I'm trying to make is that I do want to game some scenarios and I don't know if you do Twitter spaces. Maybe you could join us in that discussion. It's not going to just be like a, I'm going to use Moldbug's idea of how they would, the transition of power could happen to start a lot, a larger conversation about like, how do we get from here to there? How do we get out from underneath the thumb of the regime? Uh, is it realistic to think that that's possible? Or that's a possibility. Yeah, just send me uh send me the invite or whenever that's happening and uh, let me know, man. Cool.
Cool. Well, we didn't get to uh, the Magian civilization. I, I wanted to discuss that, but it's really not really relevant to the thrust of the conversation we were having, but it is interesting to talk about. So you'll have to come back. Yeah, I'd love to come back and keep talking this. Uh, as you could see from my Twitter account, I gratuitously, probably to the point of nausea for some people, talk about Spangler. So I'm always up for it. Yeah, I've I've been the same way and I haven't talked about him that much on my podcast, but I've like been surrounding myself with basically uh you, Spurgler and Monophthalmos so much lately that I'm like, let's just let's just take it to the pod. Let's just do a bunch of episodes on Spengler. So there would definitely be more talk on Spengler. This was a good primer though. You you know your stuff really, really well. Yeah, thanks. And and anytime that, you know, not to invite myself back, but uh, I'd love to talk to Mono and Spurgler. Um, if you want to do a group one, I'd be honored to join. Awesome. Dude, that would, yeah, that would be like uh, ideal. That would be the ideal scenario. I think we wanted you to the first time, but there was a scheduling conflict of some sort. Somebody like had to do it right then and there. So we had to do it. Um, so I followed up with you. But I, I'll tell those guys. I mean, I invited Spurgler on tonight, but he couldn't make it. Um, so I'll tell those guys. We'll definitely, we'll definitely do it. Um, there's Central a lot more to talk about. Yeah. yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks a lot for your time. Hey, thanks. You have a good one. All right, man.